0: Hi, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the SchmoofCast. You are here with Brett.
1: And Kristen.
0: And together we are the Schmoofs. We have over 20 years combined in the hospitality-themed entertainment industry. We love Disney. We love Universal. We want to share that love with you over this podcast and our YouTube channel and in our Instagram. Please follow us. Subscribe. Hit the like button. Notification bell. <laughs> well, except for all for YouTube at this point, not the podcast, but you know the drill, friends. Welcome back.
1: Welcome back.
0: Or for those who are just joining us, welcome aboard.
1: Thanks for clicking in. That's always exciting.
0: Yeah, I think it's hard to describe. Like, I wanted to put like Disney or Universal or something on the podcast name, but I think it just the Schmoofcast is. It gets the point across.
1: We're still trying to figure out a name, friends. So if you have any suggestions, please let us know in the comments. That is. Always something that we are interested in because the schmoofs cast is a little odd.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, it doesn't but explain But it works us for
1: us. Much. It doesn't explain anything, and I'm really glad that you found us. But I want to try and make it so that other people can find us, too. Yeah. So let us know.
0: But anyway, without further ado, another episode for you. On this episode, we're going to be discussing what makes a theme park entrance memorable. I think that's the way I want to word it: memorable, or what makes it work well. What makes a theme park a theme park? And it really starts before you even enter the gate, like the entrance, the entrance plaza. Entering before you get onto a ride, before you get to the main center of the park. I don't know how I want to describe this.
1: You're trying real hard.
0: I am, yeah. But I mean, so let's let's just fart. Let, let's start discussing with the ultimate example of Magic Kingdom. Okay. Okay. So entering Magic Kingdom, before you even enter Magic Kingdom, it's set up as this show and you're going to see these attraction posters for the attractions you're going to be getting to experience. And especially at Walt Disney World, even going below the train station, you still can't see the castle.
1: Hold on. Hold on. You are, you're already...
0: Am I too far ahead?
1: You're too, you're already in the park. Okay. There's, there is so much more to the Magic Kingdom story building based on entry. And that is the fact that parking is
0: it's so far away.
1: So you actually do have to be transported into this magical world, into this crazy space, whether that's by ferry, by bus, by monorail. You have to be transported. So that gives this feeling as you're already, before you even have gotten to the gates, that something as big is about to happen. You can't just walk up to it. You do have to take some form of transportation in order to start that process and start that story. Once you've done that, then you are met with the toll or the booths, the turnstiles, and the train station. It's not very assuming. It's not something that kind of punches you in the face, no, it but it does give you the exact feeling of the rest of main street so it's setting up main street for you as you before you even get there you have this feeling you know you know kind of what you're getting into the area is very reminiscent you feel that you have the greenery in that area which is some of the first greenery that you will see in the park and it sets that up then once you actually get into the park you can't go straight because there's a train station. So you have to curve off to the side. It forces you to change your perspective. And now we're at the point where Brett was because he missed all of that stuff.
0: It did. And my apologies. <laughs> and This is the stuff that it doesn't just happen randomly. Like, oh, we're going to park away. All this entry procedure process is thought about so far in advance. And it happens so naturally that you don't even think about it as the average guest. That this is all part of the storytelling. And speaking of storytelling, I mean, you turn the corner into Main Street USA and the castle, the main, the big weenie that pulls you into the park is still obstructed until you start walking up Main Street USA. And then you get get the glimpse of the castle, you get the glimpse of, oh, this is a magical place. And you need to traverse halfway into the park before you can even start beginning to go to anywhere else in the park.
1: Well, it's, it's actually something that, that Disney does very well. And other theme parks do this as well, but it's kind of a primary for Disney where they work on what is considered a, like a spoke pattern a lot of the time, but they're all about their visual lines. So when you're walking into Magic Kingdom and you get to that center point with the buildings along main street extending so far or what feels like so far away, it forces your eye to look at the castle. You don't have the ability to like look over the hub or see into Adventureland or Tomorrowland or any of those things. Your eye is specifically guided to the castle, to that wow moment. And Disney actually does this a lot. They do this in Hollywood Studios. It's a primary thing in uh, Animal Kingdom as well.
0: Well, Animal Kingdom's entrance is...
1: We'll talk about Animal Kingdom more in depth in just a second yeah you decided to start with magic kingdom
0: no i'm okay with magic kingdom magic it's it's great it's it's so it's second nature to us at this point because we've been visiting the parks for so long and i'm sure every listening has been to magic kingdom at least once or twice so you understand that you walk up main street and your attention is focused on that castle and after you know your attention drops it's like okay cool where am i going to next and then all these stories unfold on one of the hub and spoke pattern like Kristen said So, you got to pick which way you're going to head to in the park and then work off that. Nothing is right there. You need to work to get to something.
1: And all of that is kind of within that entry story for Magic Kingdom. Um, My personal favorite is a bit more subtle, but it is actually the entry story to Animal Kingdom. Uh, Brett just poked at it a little bit, but this is something that I really enjoy. Knowing the story on and knowing kind of the ideas behind it versus the reality and, and how it feels as a guest. So with Animal Kingdom, it has a very stark parking lot. And you everyone comes into the parking lot. The buses drop off at the same parking lot that the guests do. So everyone kind of has this trek, if you will, through a asphalt.
0: And the parking lot is curved. You have to drive around it. You drive the entire exterior of it, entering and leaving. Mm -hmm. It is this, it's a track. It really is. It
1: is a track. And it's a lot. When you finally get to the turnstiles, you enter the park in what is called the oasis. So, this is an area where suddenly you have all of this greenery, you have animals. The paths are winding and they kind of take you through different exhibits without kind of a clear purpose as to what's going on.
0: And the average guest sees all this and goes, where's the theme park? Where's the, where's Everest? Where's the safari? Like why, what is going on here? Because this is so, it's an unassuming entryway. There's nothing grand or miraculous about it all. It's just kind of like a brick building and then was going to throw you in the middle of the jungle.
1: Yep. But once you finally traverse through the oasis, um, you kind of crest this hill, and there's the Tree of Life. And it's this giant structure that is quite interesting because you look at it from a raised height. So when you are exiting the oasis to get to Discovery Island, which is going to, again, give you that hub-and-spoke pattern design once you get to it, You're actually raised above everything else. That being said, they still utilize those buildings. So it's giving you this one long, narrow view range where you are looking at the Tree of Life. There is a reason that you feel like it is an icon because it is all you see and it is massive and it's this amazing...
0: It sets the tone for your entire Animal Kingdom experience.
1: It does. And you kind of get all that where from there you will start out to go wherever you're going to go. But you don't think about the fact that you went through this trek in the parking lot to finally come to an oasis where you started having some greenery and some life. And then you crest this hill to be presented with the tree of life. There is so much purpose in all of those things that normal guests may not notice but you feel the difference there is a reason that once you cross that hill and you get that first glimpse of the tree of life it's kind of a <gasps> moment there it's is the a, same reason that it works with the castle
0: and there's a reason why the uh, the park entry is not up at that bridge to enter the park there's a reason it is so far back and it, it's more walking i don't like walking uphill it is all so purposeful. And now that you're gonna, you know, listen to us ramble about this, you're gonna stand, sit back and be like, wow, I never really thought about it like that. Like, it really does. It, it is such an experience. The more you think about it, the cooler it is. And then the Tree of Life is, it's on Discovery Island. And it kind of has its roots that branch out towards the other portions of the parks. And in order to get to Dinoland or to Asia or Africa or Pandora, you have to take a bridge. Everything kind of like branches out like its own separate route to another living and breathing portion of the park.
1: Yep. And it's all different worlds that are kind of included in that. And you get that feeling of, it's a big feeling of life and that breathing entity within all of Animal Kingdom. And I think that that's very purposeful. Uh, and I would love to ask Joe Rody about kind of the thought process along those things, because I'm sure that he was thinking about that. I know he was for a lot of that, because having the opportunity to speak with people that have worked at Animal Kingdom, that have the history and can kind of share those stories that are not well known, is phenomenal. It's something that is a great asset and that's why we want to share it with you guys because it isn't something that you may think about at any given time.
0: I mean that kind of idea of the saying the tone as you enter the park before you go to these other lands, there's other theme parks that do it too. Uh that aren't Disney.
1: Mm-hmm. Go
0: figure. <laughs> and no I'm not talking about SeaWorld. SeaWorld's entrance is
1: very odd
0: <laughs> to say the least. It's uh it's so haphazard uh, one of my friends described SeaWorld's layout to me as a lopsided snowman. And you enter on, like, the side of the snowman, and I, I can't unsee it. Like, if you look at a map, it's like a three-circle lopsided snowman. It's weird. But it, it's just, it makes no sense. Like, Busch Gardens makes no sense. Fun Spot has, like, 40 entrances because you can just walk into it off the street. So forget storytelling there.
1: I have no idea. I've never been to Fun Spot.
0: We should change that. No. <laughs> Not right now with their mask compliance. It's uh, absolutely horrendous. But let's go ahead and discuss like um, Islands of Adventure. Universal's Islands of Adventure.
1: I love the port of entry. I think that is probably my favorite themed entry of any theme park I've been to.
0: It has the absolute best theme park music for any entry I've ever been to.
1: It's just such a unique concept. And it... The other thing that I love about the Port of Entry and Islands of Adventure in general is seeing it makes me appreciate Universal Studios more for the studio backlot feeling that it is meant to be. Because Port of Entry and most of Islands of Adventure proves just how well Universal can theme their lands, can theme anything, even if it's not Harry Potter, like Seuss Landing or the superhero island, you feel like you are walking into these, like walking into the pages of a comic book or a Dr. Seuss book. And Port Adventure really sets up that expectation because it is incredibly themed.
0: It is themed to this, I don't. I want to say like a seaside town that has, It's. it's kind of like, I don't want to say lost in time, but it's
1: it's got everything from a bizarre to it just feels like if you've ever watched like the movie Stardust, I know this is a random reference that you probably don't get because you've never seen the movie. If I
0: have not, you're correct. Right.
1: <laughs> but if you've ever seen Stardust or, or read the movie, it's kind of a mix between steampunk, airships and and all of these feelings where it's like just this bizarre aspect of different things coming together that's what port of entry is and i'm not explaining it very well because that sounds very discombobulated but it it does feel like a
0: it is a discombobulated mess of everything that just works well together you cross under an arch that reads up top the adventure begins and that kind of sets the tone there's a photo store to the left or to the right there is a outpost uh, adventure supply store to the left which is basically just a souvenir store but it's kind of amping you up. Like you're going to have some adventures. You're going to need some uh, to take some photos today. You continue on. There's a candy bakery company on the right. There is a Christmas shop. You look up top. There is a gambling hall that's going on. The Lucky Monkey, I think it's called. You continue on and there's uh, you see signs for like Explorers Club meetings and a fire brigade. And Procrastinators meeting has been rescheduled. Uh, there is a vendor selling fruit and stuff out of overturned boats that are holding ice together You go up to the next and you, before you even get to the lagoon, you go under another arch So it's kind of giving you this little by little movement into the islands of adventure And you go under this final arch that's being half of it's held up by uh, wooden logs and half of it's falling. It's like, you know, this is withstood the test of time and it's still being utilized and it's still an act of bizarre and you walk out of port of entry and you are greeted with a gigantic roller coaster on your left, Seuss is to your right, Jurassic Park is in front of you, you see the castle in the distance, you see a gigantic ship on the shore. There is so much just drawn out in front of you that this little unassuming bizarre trying to sell you little trinkets is now unfolded into this amazing experience.
1: And I think that the funny thing is, is you know how we talked about directing eyelines? So we talked about sight lines previously. And Port of Entry actually also uses this to their advantage, but in a very different way than a Disney park would. So with that entry point, everything is so closed in and... The buildings are way tall, so you can't see anything. You don't know what you're getting into. And you go under these bridges that are still going to restrict that sight until you get past that final point, right when you hit the lagoon. Then you see this big new world that's really been exposed for you. Like Brett was saying, like you see Hulk, you see Jurassic Park, you see part of Toon Lagoon, Seuss Landing... There's so many things that are happening right there. You see Hogwarts off in the distance that none of that you see from Port of Entry. You actually have to fully get through that land and that area in order to kind of get the full picture.
0: And it's kind of confusing, especially for first-time visitors, because they walk into the park and it's just where is where's the Harry Potter? Where is it? And they walk in and they're just like, "Whoa." this is huge this is overwhelming but then they see the castle and they be aligned to the right i mean it is a very cool experience to just meander through especially with the christmas decorations up christmas decorations up are fantastic
1: but there's a whole lot of things within port of entry as well that you can spend a lot of time there they've created stories for these characters and this audio that you hear they've hidden things um like the turtle doves yeah
0: the turtle doves that are beaks basically kissing each other. And their beaks, if you look at them from the, a certain point, they're aligned to form a heart. It's really cute.
1: It's so cute. And it's not in like an easy place to see. So that's one of those things that is not meant for the everyday guests. It's really meant for people that are spending time to look through all of the things that that area offers. And it's not large. It's not the size of Main Street. It's maybe the size of the Oasis, just the Oasis it's a lot still... shoehorned
0: into a small location.
1: But that's the point, is that you just kind of feel like it's, it's a merchandise bazaar, and that's the way it is, is that it gives it life because of the fact that there's so much jammed into such a small space, that it feels like there's constant activity. Surprisingly enough, it doesn't bottleneck either, considering it is the entry and exit point, and all of these things are very close together, because... A big portion of what it is is they push people through their main merchandise shop there, the one that's the the supplies as an exit. So a lot of they push a lot of people through that store as they're leaving. And I know this because like we do it every time. It's not that we're shopping. It's not that we're even interested in shopping, but with the way that the land is set up, because it curves ever so slightly around this, Shop, which again it obstructs what you're viewing going into it as you're exiting you just naturally will curve off to that side and it's brilliant but it
0: doesn't happen upon entering you need to like entering you just flow right through the land exiting is a different story it's very well done
1: and it it works out so well it makes me really interested to see what other places do the funny thing is is we actually we've been to hershey park
0: I was just going to say Hershey, too. Yeah. They they just redid their entry. It is now a big boy, proper name brand amusement theme park entryway that they've actually themed to their old... Um,
1: Hershey's Chocolate Factory. Yeah.
0: Th- that's what it is. It's, it's all this old red brick... Uh, cool. Very
1: industrial age feeling.
0: Yeah. Like, it, it's weird to describe. I... I would say Google some pictures. I can't really put pictures on this, but I'll look if it's a Hershey Park, Chocolate Town. That's their new entry. And Hershey Park has always had this, uh based in Hershey, Pennsylvania, where the original Hershey chocolate bar was made. Their factory is still standing behind the park, and it, it looks like it's all the red brick and gray, and it has these smokestacks that have Hershey written down it. The Chocolate World ride and store that they built out front of Hershey Park has the same feeling and now the front of hershey park has the same feeling as well
1: and the nice thing is is because of the fact they had to push the front of the park in order to get this expansion it is directly next to chocolate world now and so it's now one cohesive entry experience like as you are going through it doesn't detract from your your eye line at all and
0: it actually enhances it i mean they added the candemonium roller coaster right there there is a water fountain that is shaped like a Hershey Kiss.
1: It is so cute.
0: And they moved their 100-year-old carousel into a brand new building right at the entrance. They've added all these things, and their previously old entrance was a small little European village, which would not, it did not assist with their capacity concerns of getting people in and out of that park in a timely manner.
1: I think my biggest thing, though, is that while the Chocolate Town expansion for Hershey is beautiful, it's, it's a great space, it's still, there's something missing for it. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that it, like the lopsided snowman, the outline <laughs> of that park is just very weird. And because they had to move that entrance, they essentially curved it down a hill further. It's, you go up this meandering path That it is very odd and i don't think that that works out as well of an entry but it's still a very grand moment when you're entering that park
0: it's very difficult for them to fix any issues in that section because they have the high school football stadium is in their parking lot near the park they have an indoor stadium right next to it as well if you've ever been on rip red rocket at universal You know the loading dock the the loading area is right up next to basically the blue man group soundstage it's right there that's how half of hershey park feels because these stadiums are right next to it like the park goes right up to these big buildings that are just not in the park lines because they're not in the park
1: so it's just the way it works
0: there's a lot of issues they need to fix there oh where else have you been to that's been interesting i mean hershey park isn't really trying to tell a story They've been trying over the last few years to get more of their brands involved in the park. So they've done the Reese's Cup Fusion. They've added Candemonium, which has themed trains. They repainted the Skyliner, their their gondolas, to uh, Reese's and Twizzlers colors and stuff like that. So they're working their branding into the park, but there's really no story to tell other than, hey, we have roller coasters, come ride.
1: I think one of the most interesting entries that I can think of, because of how understated it is, and it really gives a feeling of the park. It is actually a Silver Dollar City in Branson, Missouri. Missouri.
0: Yeah, man. So, <laughs> SDC for sure. SDC is a trip and a half. It is themed to uh, old binding caves? I think so. I don't even know. It's, it's old. It's old. It's old
1: school. Like, essentially, the entire thing is... Some point in history between Frontierland and Liberty Square.
0: That is honestly the best description (laughs) I can think of it. It is is ridiculous. But everything has this old school, like, Western feel to it. But, like, in in a... a...
1: It does have mine. Like, I think it does focus on mining. But to be honest, you go through the entry. It forces you through a gift shop. Like, you have to go through a gift shop. To get to the main square of the park.
0: And then as we learn afterwards, that gift shop is built on top of the entrance to an underground cavern system <laughs> that they do uh, cave tours. It's very cool. It's weird. But then you exit the gift shop and you are on top of a hill.
1: And it's looking out like there's... When we went, it was during their holiday season, which they have a amazing lights display very similar to the Osborne lights from Disney World in the past that is phenomenal. And it's just over all of these very old timey buildings.
0: If you ever wanted to see the Osborne lights again, I would a 100% recommend traveling to the middle of nowhere Branson, Missouri to see them.
1: It was fantastic. I would a 100% agree that you should do it. If you are looking for that kind of experience, take the time to go to uh, Silver Dollar City. It is wonderful. They also have a lot of different coasters. They have a lot of different attractions that you would not expect out in the middle of nowhere. But
0: but the story that they're telling is this. It's kind of like built alongside the land and worked with the land. Mm-hmm. And it's how these miners and these settlers have adapted their belongings and their houses and what they do based upon the land so it's not like everything's paved over and then it's a flat surface it's like no everything is built into the side it of this hill
1: all a hill
0: and it's cool it works well it works well being thrown in on the top of it but then at the end of your day you gotta traverse back to the top of the hill and after walking around all day it's kind of ridiculous but it's still great so wonderful
1: there's definitely a lot that i but again it's so understated when you're you're walking into it, that I was not expecting half of the things. No, you don't see any that of we this came either. in contact with. I was thinking it was very much going to be reminiscent of Kenobles in terms of the kind of quaint atmosphere. And these it is not by any means that. It actually is some of the largest roller coasters that I've ever probably been on.
0: Yeah, and they're big boys. There's a lot to do there. And
1: there's a lot to do. They have like a full train and so many things that are going on there. But you wouldn't expect that from their entry. It is so understated and it really kind of helps make it that everything else pops a bit more.
0: It is very special. It is a very cool thing. And it's, again, it's intentional. It's all this intentional type deal. Speaking of intentional... Disney spent a lot of money a few years ago to rebuild one of their best theme parks ever on the West Coast, California Adventure. Oh. Yeah, DCA 1.0. Brett loves
1: to talk about DCA 1.0, even though he has literally never experienced it. He said he didn't believe it was real for a long
0: time. It's not. It didn't exist. Like, the 1980s, it just didn't happen. So... (laughs) (laughs)
1: There's so many questions everyone so many questions
0: but the purpose of trying to explain and talk to you about why these entries to theme parks are so important comes really back to dca to disney california adventure because of how unsuccessful and how unconvincing their entry was now i never experienced it but i've seen pictures but it was all meant to be their entry plaza was like all these gift shops and stuff set up that were meant to look like greetings from California postcards, right? Yeah, if
1: you've ever seen one of those, like, the really bad postcard sets, like the over... We get them a lot here in Florida, too, where it's like, greetings from Florida! And all it is is like this cartoon sun with a cartoon palm tree, and like, that's kind of the way it was. GCA 1.0, as we call it was all of that mixed in with a miniature Golden Gate Bridge that the monorail went through. And it was these very weird shops that when you got to the end, you got to this giant sun fountain. No rhyme or reason. It very much did not make sense for anything. But that's just the way it was. That was the decision that was made when it was built.
0: It was a love letter to California. Right? Is it was that the intention of it, or was it just Eisner going, "Whatever you guys want to do, go ahead, do it."
1: I don't. <laughs> I don't know.
0: It it was something, but Disney spent time, money, effort. We were just talking about it in our Epcot episode. Is that Disney doesn't? They don't like to use walls, construction walls, if they don't need to, and especially they don't like to do a lot of them. They try to do as little as possible. For the longest time, the entire stretch of main entry into California Adventure was all construction walls like Epcot is now. And the end product is this absolutely stunning, rival's main street in the approach to it, Buena Vista Street.
1: Buena Vista Street is, honestly, it is crazy to think that the park did not open with that. It feels, it feels
0: so natural and so good.
1: It's very intentional. It feels like the entry that that park was always meant to have. Because California Adventure is a bit of a, a combobulation of different things. And that's because it it is meant, it was, meant to pull from different areas of California. They've seen a lot of change in that as they are welcoming more characters into the park in terms of how that looks. But I think that that's the beauty of Buena Vista Street because it's bringing all of that love, and as you were saying, a love letter to California, it's bringing that to the front of the park so that it doesn't necessarily have to be over the entire park. It's very similar to to Tomorrowland, right? So we look at Tomorrowland as the future that never was. That's kind of the ideology behind it is that's why it is the way it is. And Buena Vista Street has that same kind of love in it where it's the Hollywood that never was. It was the Hollywood of Walt Disney arriving um, in the nineteen twenties to start this business and to see what he could do, and it's kind of really holds to that. It's so it,
0: this fantastical. I don't want to say it's a fictionalized version of what a nineteen twenties California would have been like, especially. In it would hundred
1: percent is.
0: But it's it is this romanticized what walt would have wanted to experience or what he thinks he might have experienced it is definitely i'm going to use that verb again it is a romanticized version of 1920s hollywood
1: and i think that that's amazing because as we've learned when you try and if you're making something like that to make it memorable you do need to romanticize it you need to take all of those good bits and really emphasize them. That's part of the reason that Main Street works so well is it is a romanticized version of a town in the middle of nowhere during the turn of the century.
0: And there's little nooks and crannies and there's a fake second story and there's stairs to nowhere and there's fake doors and every little back hallway and everything else has like an extra light or an extra lamp or something that makes it feel like the land extends beyond what you're able to access.
1: And Buena Vista Street also does a really great job of that. And, they knocked
0: it out of the park. It's and spectacular. And it does
1: extend beyond itself. I think that the trolley is a perfect example of that. Where it fits in so well with Buena Vista Street, which is set in its own time. And then it goes down through the back lot area. And it still fits there. Like, it's not out of place. It doesn't not make sense. And... That's really nice. So that theming of the trolley started with Buena Vista Street. And then it extended, which is great.
0: And, I mean, we've talked about the hub and spoke pattern at a few of these other locations as well. And <laughs> I guess uh, DCA doesn't really
1: have that. It does not. It does not follow that pattern at all. It is a v- lopsided snowman. <laughs> That's just going to be the phrase that I use from now on for any, like, oddly shaped park
0: you kind of get up to the the storytellers walt and mickey statue and you have an option of three locations to go to mm-hmm. which they all will connect to each other once avengers campus is done again but right now one heads over towards the back lot one heads down towards pixar pier in cars land and uh the wharf oh god bless the wharf best food best food at the theme park ever and the other heads towards uh the more Pacific Northwest version of, yeah, the Grizzly Peak. I was trying to see what else was saying here.
1: Grizzly Peak. And the airfield. Condor Flats and... Well, I guess it's not Condor Flats anymore. Grizzly Peak Airfield. It's all Grizzly Peak Airfield, but it will forever in my brain be Condor Flats. And that's kind of...
0: It is a lopsided snowman.
1: (laughs) It's probably more of a clover because they do all come back to a point. Um, But it is a very roundabout way... Mm. Um, Which does make it feel a little more little because there is dead space. There is dead space within California Adventure, but none of that exists in the entry. And it's just such a great change that was made in order to have that work. So I think that that is also a really great example.
0: It's an example of why a proper great entrance to a theme park is
1: needed. It changes the entire feel of the park. There's, I mean, to be honest, besides Buena Vista Street, they didn't change that much.
0: They added Cars Land. They didn't touch... So you're going to say, oh, but it's Pixar Pier now. But when they unveiled the new Disney California Adventure theme park, they didn't touch uh, Paradise Pier. Mm
1: -mm. Grizzly
0: Peak uh, was pretty much the same. It was still Condor Flats at that time. Grizzly Peak Airfield was after the fact.
1: But let's be honest. The Grizzly Peak Airfield is
0: it feels so natural the structures
1: are the same it's very similar to condor flats which is why i personally have a little bit of a hard time remembering that it's all i remember that it's all one area it's not an extensive change
0: no the biggest change that they did was Vista street and carsland that's that's really it that's all they did to change this entire feel of the park Mm -hmm. and i remember a friend my first visit out there he said to me that years ago dca you can easily skip but since Buena Vista Street in Carsland, it is now one of the best theme parks in the world. I 100 percent disagree with that. I think DCA is <laughs> DCA is a uh, takes some love and It needs some way more love than it's currently getting. But I, I can agree I think that it's
1: a much better theme park than it was.
0: <laughs> you can say the same, same thing about Hollywood Studios, though. But I, yeah, you're right. I don't
1: know if I can say that about Hollywood Studios. <laughs>
0: uh, it's fine. But I think that Buena Vista Street and Animal Kingdom and Port of Entry are some of the three best theme park entrances that we've experienced. And people are gonna fight us automatically, and I can already see your names hitting up on Twitter saying, But Tokyo Disney Sea.
1: We haven't been there, people. We can't comment. We understand it's beautiful, we understand it's amazing and it's the best thing ever. But guess what? We need to wait until we go there until we can have an opinion, okay?
0: And then I know there's going to be somebody else saying, but you didn't mention the worst theme park entry of all time. No. Walt Disney Studios, the Paris park, which I guess so we haven't been to.
1: I'm just going to, everything that I just said, we're just it here. Just act like I said the same thing. Okay.
0: Yeah. But I mean, that's an example of how not to do it because you enter through a big stage and instead of having a grand Buena Vista street, you go through a stand stage, which has shops and dining.
1: I have no idea. So yeah. here's the thing. Brett loves to look up these places. I prefer to experience them, so I don't tend to look things up in advance. So I can't answer to either of those I'm things. I'm
0: just saying it's a bad we entry. We will get
1: there eventually, and then we can have opinions, it... and we can have a discussion then. But for right now, shush.
0: <laughs> but yeah, so out of the, okay, so out of those three, do you think Animal Kingdom is the best entry?
1: I think they're all wonderful for different reasons i don't know if i could pick a favorite
0: okay <laughs> i mean i i personally we've I,
1: literally just spent the last 40 minutes discussing yeah. how wonderful they each are you're gonna try and make me pick one of course rude
0: it it, it feels like we haven't given universal enough love so let's go ahead and, i'm gonna i'm gonna say port of entry i love port of entry animal kingdom is great but they're all great in their own way and i hope this opens your eyes just a little bit at like the entry to the park and not just the we're going to go ride right Everest 10 times. No, there, there's and a lot more to just the overall feeling and experience of these theme parks.
1: And let us know what you think. If What theme park have you been to? And it doesn't have to be one of the ones that we discussed. Uh, in fact, if it's not, that's even cooler. Yeah. What is your favorite entry experience? Why is it your favorite entry experience? The people want to know. And by the people, I mean the schmoofs want to know.
0: Yeah, i am be very curious. I mean, I've never been to carowinds or bush gardens williamsburg or a bunch of these other parks too i'd love to hear if you've been there are they better than animal kingdoms entry
1: let us know yeah
0: we're here we're open hit us on social media at the schmoofs instagram twitter youtube we are out there come find us friends if you found us here you probably found us there too but i think that's it for this episode thanks for listening along to us who rambled along
1: that's what we got yo
0: signing off for the night and this is brent and Kristen.